Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in with his legs. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Podcast in a slightly different place tonight. Uh, this is as close to a live show as you will ever get from us. Uh, myself and Martin tonight will be covering. Well, you know what we'll be covering. You know why we've uh, determined to do a show tonight of all nights uh, after the fallout from the Graham Shinney incident last Friday night. But I suppose let's take us right back to last Friday night, Martin and uh, Ross County um, Friday night. The team lines, I mean, we were perfectly right that there would just be one change, but we were wrong with who dropped out. Ilber Ramadani missing out because of illness. Um, obviously, it meant an extra opportunity for Ryan Duncan. We may be slightly disappointed overall, not just with Ryan, but with the impact that some of our more creative players had on the night. I think I think it, I wasn't too surprised. I mean, I was obviously surprised to hear that Ramadani was, uh, was out um, and, and wasn't well, but uh, given that it was Ramadani out and the the team that they picked last time with Ryan Duncan coming in when Shinny wasn't available the last time, um, it made a lot of sense. It seems to be the big thing with Barry Robson's tenure so far is he's looking to try and stick with as consistent a team as possible. Um, and given that Ryan Duncan got the start when Graham Shinny wasn't available in the previous game, um, it made a lot of sense that Ryan Duncan would be the person to come in this time round as well, and I was perfectly happy with that. And he seemed to do a particularly a particularly fine job in 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 that as well. Um, but you do wonder what that means for the future of some of the other players who aren't getting a look in under the setup. Connor Bad and we spoke about last time, and that seems to be the obvious one. It, it really does seem that he's completely frozen out in this in, in, in the setup now and I think a number of other players may well now be feeling if they're not getting any opportunities then um that 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 may well indicate what the future may well be for them especially if Robson and his coaching team stays in place after the summer. But um no no issues with the no issues with the starting lineup and and, and no issues with how they performed on the day either. I think we have to assume that Conor Barron was still injured. I mean, he was injured for the previous week's game against Kilmarnock because he was doing the Red TV commentary. So um, I don't think he was even on the bench, was he? No, I don't think he was. So that would explain a lot more. But um, but yeah, I mean, the the the, the method behind the the madness um, stick with the same eleven players that are uh, seeing you win every game that you play, um, unless oh, you're absolutely yeah, yeah. forced to do otherwise. So. You'd struggle to complain with the starting lineup, absolutely. I'm just, I'm just wondering if you aren't maybe just a little bit disappointed with 
with the way that first half went in particular, because we did struggle. But of course, we get the goal, and you know, we talk about maybe the lack of creativity, the lack of time in the ball that our better footballers had. But I mean, it was uh, it was the goal really was about two things, wasn't it? It was about Leighton Clarkson's ability to spot a pass, and about Luis Lopez, his tremendous run of form and goals. Now. It was Anthony Evans, um, who we found on the show before on Twitter, and I'm sure plenty of other people made the point as well, but I saw this from Anthony after the game. He made the point that having Robson playing Clarkson as a sitting midfielder, I'll ignore the fact he used the term number six, because we know how I feel about number six as being referred to as midfielders, but that's a completely different point, and I won't allow my prejudices to over, uh, you know, override this point. It was allowing him to see the whole play in front of him. And it, it's really reaping rewards. And I, I completely take that point on board. I think that goal on Friday night was a clear example of that. Uh, absolutely. Um, the it, it, it comes as an opportunistic goal to begin with, obviously, because Leighton Clarkson, as good as, as good as the pass was that led to the goal, really where, where it's paid dividends for him is anticipating a slack pass out of defence and, and seizing on that. But... That's the second game in a row that Clarkson has produced an absolutely top class through ball. Um, it, it's it's just one of those. It must be absolutely brilliant if you're Miofsky or Duke being able to play in front of someone with that amount of ability. Because as everyone knows, it's one thing seeing a pass; it's another one executing it. But it's not just passing to a player who's in space. It's um, that goal doesn't happen unless he's put that ball in a place that Duke is able to hit it on the run first time, um, because it's just it's just timed enough that I mean Duke's only about a half pace ahead of the central defender, and again it's just quick enough to to wrong foot laid low on goal um, because he probably would have probably would have done better with that if it wasn't for the fact that Duke's able to hit it in his stride first time and um it's obviously a great finish. Um but it but it had to be executed at that at at, at that pace. So yeah, full marks to him for I mean I think in recent weeks, I mean don't, I don't think anyone's doubted the technical ability that Clarkson has. Um but I think there were some uh eyebrows raised when Robson first came into charge because I think with Jim Goodwin um, he was trying to set up in a situation where um, I think Leighton Clarkson was further up the field and playing not quite as an attacking midfielder, but he would have certainly been the the, the, the foremost player of a of a front three. Um, I think it's fair to say Robson's maybe set it up more as a uh, inverted it more to begin with, where he had actually Clarkson sitting as the pivot and uh, Ramadani and Shinny kind of pushing forward, and maybe more so in recent times as a kind of a. Uh, uh, as, as part of a midfield two with Ryan Duncan a bit further forward. But um, the one thing it's, the other thing that's really impressed me about him is just the, 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 the work rate that he's put in, which I think is something um, I hadn't seen to that level under the Goodwin regime, where he's really, you know, there's a, there's a determination and a grit and, and again, exemplified by, you know, the willingness to go and, you know, capitalize on the slack pass in the beginning. So um, yeah, he's, he's he's in a great run of form at the moment, and, and long may that continue. Yeah, um, there's a couple of players, aren't there, who who really have um, to use a very straightforward Scottish footballing vernacular, got more stuck in 
um, often <laughs> came in the door. Uh, to use uh, another piece of technical football jargon, you're quite right. Uh, Lopez did have the defender right up his arse and um, anything other than a perfectly weighted ball wasn't going to see that uh, chance come to anything. So uh, a lot to like about that goal. Uh, but And not least, of course, the streak that uh, our boys on and um, more details, more confirmation, I suppose. I think a lot of this was reported when he signed back in uh, back in July. Uh, but uh, Benfica holds a 50% sell on clause um, after the free transfer signing of uh, Luis Lopez last summer. And uh, that's looking like one of the better pieces of businesses this club's ever done, isn't it? Absolutely. And this, this is where I think it's always... I, I, I would always support the club going out and getting hold of players like that where they think there might be um, a lot of underlying potential there because, okay, you'll have situations like either domestically or or when you're kind of speculating further afield. I think the, 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 the one that springs to mind would be the Ronnie Hernandez one where we spent an awful lot of money on a player that we thought we would be effectively able to turn around as it happens, probably ended up the way that we expected to be, where he goes off to Atlanta United, and undoubtedly part of the funding for that was secured from that beforehand. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't work out for whatever reason. It doesn't really, you know, pay any financial, either playing or financial dividends. But you've got to keep putting yourself in the position where you, you know, speculate to accumulate. And, and right now, if... If that works out with, I mean, it's already working out right now in terms of what he's producing on 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 the pitch. Um, what was that sixteen or seventeen goals he's on now for the season? And eighteen, eighteen, eighteen now. Eighteen now. I'm doing him a disservice already. Eighteen in the league, so. But I was thinking he's kind of like you know you you, you, you think about the times of um, it's maybe not as much now, but when some of the people talking about what. You know, was it you know ten million pounds that Alfredo Morales would be worth um, a, a year or two ago? You know, we take it with a pinch of salt with regards to which Chinese super club was potentially going to be spending that kind of money on it. But I, I, I keep on thinking to myself, Duke, is, Duke strikes me as the player that Rangers fans in their head think that Alfredo Morales is, but. He actually produces it, and he's got a great attitude, and he actually bothers his arse on the pitch. So um, we've discussed this at the last podcast. Um, if we have any opportunity to maintain him or extend his contract and keep him at the club, I would absolutely choose to do that over cashing in right now. And we, there is still a couple of uh, years left on that contract. But unless, I mean, touch wood, unless something terrible was to happen. Um, the worst case scenario is if we cash him in in the summer, the likelihood we're, we're, we're going to be making a very hefty seven-figure sum out of that. And, um, you know, it's it's worth, for me, it's worth making the investment because for every 10 players that that doesn't work out for, if it works out for, for one, then that 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 can set the club up for years to come. It, it, it happened with Lewis Ferguson, it happened with Scott McKenna, and I'm sure it's going to happen with Duke and probably Miofsky as well. So um, it's definitely the right approach. I do like how you're still early enough into your tenure in this show that you're worried about repeating yourself from the last episode. For God's sake. Yeah. And, uh, uh, us two, we've, we're just trotting out the same old shit for eight years now. But uh, 
Talking of uh, the same things repeating, it was another early sacrifice of Bohan Miofsky. It's it's become a trend under um, Barry Robson. You mentioned the fact he likes a settled side. He also doesn't tend to use that many substitutes. Um, and it tends to be the front two that are taken off. And it tends to be in order. It tends to be uh, Miofsky usually after around about 60, 70 minutes. And it was fairly early on Friday night. He wasn't taken off, though, before he'd actually um, scored. Offside goal, very close call. Um, but you can, you know, you can understand in that scenario where we don't have a, a, a perfect Hawkeye type line system that because VAR couldn't conclusively overrule the decision on the field that it stayed that way as an offside flag. You can, you can understand that, can't you? In terms of VAR's use, it, it's harsh, but it's totally fair. I, I have to say, I'm more surprised with the decision of the lines person because whatever happened to giving the advantage to the attacking player in those situations, that was so close that I can't imagine that a, lines, a linesman would have looked at that, you know, the assistant referees looking at that, at, you know, live and thinking, yeah, that guy's definitely offside because it looked good at the time. And if anything, I think a lot of people would have had the same experience when you then see the 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 lines drawn on the screen and as you say okay if, if you can, if you can't conclusively overturn the decision on the pitch then you probably are stuck with that but again I I I, I had a look at that and I was still thinking yeah looks on side to me um but yeah it's it's un, it's unfortunate because otherwise it would have been another really really well worked goal um another one that I want to come back to again because that is obviously that was obviously later on in the game but um if I was going to be slightly critical, having, having um, espoused the merits of the Miofsky duke partnership on the basis of them having, like, I think as you you revealed, they've they've linked up for exactly one goal all season. <laughs> but uh, um, I think it was tested slightly again. Um, and another good example was um, there was an opportunity in the first half where um, Miofsky had the ball in his own half and he had the 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 defender to beat. Um, and I really think that rather than he actually took the defender on and beat him, but when the ball was in his own half, Duke had already set off and started running. And obviously, by the time that Miofsky beat the defender, Duke was was offside and the pass wasn't there to be made anymore. Yeah. But he stood, he stood the defender up, and I, and I think that if he'd managed to just poke the ball past the defender, and Duke basically had an entire half of the pitch to run onto the ball and you would have had to fancy them to beat the keeper one-on-one from 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 there. So, um, yeah, um, very unlucky that he didn't get the goal from that piece of play, but maybe not, you know, there's, there's maybe still some work to be done in, on the creative end of that as well. Yeah, I think it, it's two assists sort of between them, um, and they were both last week against Kilmarnock, basically. The, the two goals there were, were the first um, assists that had come in between them. It, I, we did speak about this last week, and the conversation was that you know I think they've been ploughing their own furrows and doing very well individually without necessarily working as a partnership. Um, again, I want to properly attribute this. I think it was Cameron Hobbs on Twitter this week. I mean, you know, it's going to be on Twitter. That's where I get my um, dull-headed Don's opinions from. Not that I'm saying Cameron's opinion was dull-headed, but um, and where I share mine as well. But I think it, he came out and said he, he he thought the partnership was great and maybe they're not getting direct assists and assists are a terrible uh, statistic really to measure too much on anyway. But 
he he thought that the runs that Miofsky made created space for Lopez um, and that it was working really well as a pairing. Now, I, I think they have both worked really well as strikers for Aberdeen. I'm just, I'm not convinced on that second point. I'm also not convinced that it truly really matters if they're like a, a tremendous Dwight York, Andy Cole type uh, front pairing, as long as they're both delivering the goods in their own way. Yeah, I agree entirely. I, it, it doesn't have to be uh, a strike partnership that's working in that way. As I was trying to think back, um, honestly, it probably shows my age. And again, it's maybe not the best example, but I thought of like a, a Craig Brewster and Stevie Crawford, for example. Um, they, they maybe weren't outstanding players in their own right, but they worked so well as a nine and ten combination and and had that kind of level of understanding. And it's it's nothing like that at all. But um, yeah, Cameron knows his stuff, and I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that as well. I think just the very fact that you're playing with two up front and, and, and you're having that intent, intent, and when when you are getting forward, it means you have other options. So in that, that example that I was talking about beforehand, where if you're only playing one up front and, um, and Majowski's in his own half, and he has to take the defender on because he's the only player there, whereas if you've got another player like Duke alongside you, and especially somebody that's, you know, got a, got a bit of a motor, it... It, 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 it gives you more options and it, and it gives the defense something more to deal with as well because you you know you know that you've got more than one player that you're gonna to have to deal with and and it must be it, you know it, it must help players playing behind him as well because somebody like in Clarkson the fact that you have options in front of you you can you you, you you're maybe not even using those options but if one one of the players can you know take the attention of one or two defenders away uh, and and I think the phrase is gravity that you've got two two forwards if if they're they're both in goal scoring form so you have to as a as a defending team you've got to give them both a a, a certain amount of respect so you have to track their runs you have to go with them and it's exactly right that then creates space for the other player so i just think it's i've always been a fan of just playing with 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 two up and and i just think it carries a lot more threat and as long as you're as long as you have that structure behind you, which is sound, because obviously the, the 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 risk with playing two up is that you potentially then leave yourself getting out contested in midfield, and 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 then you never get enough possession to be able to justify that. Um, but in fairness, that's where you know we have a, we have a sound structure, you know, working from the back up, and you know um, certainly, although we've we've struggled some of the times in in the earlier parts of the games as the as the matches have worn on, we have tended to kind of be able to get a gra- a, 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 a grip of the games. I'll, I'll, I'll circle before, before I come back. I'll circle back to something you mentioned beforehand with regards to because again we 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 find ourselves in a situation again where while it was a relatively kind of even first half in terms of possession, there's no doubt that. Ross County were far, far more direct and causing a lot of problems. I had a lot of shots on on goal and then and, and a lot of set pieces, a lot of corners. And you were saying, you know, is that something that we should be concerned about? And I was kind of like in two minds about that because you're obviously concerned about not, you know, ha- having that amount of pressure on your own goal. But as concerning as that is, I'm so much more confident in the way that our team defends now and our ability to be able to cope with that. I, I don't know how you feel. And I'm, and I'm normally never the kind of person that feels comfortable in, in, in the face of a, of an opposition onslaught, but um, the difference with Angus McDonald and Matty Pollock and team, and in fairness, Liam Scales as well did really well. I think he definitely benefits from having those two alongside him, but they dealt with 
pretty much every aerial ball that came in, everything that needed to be cleared, it just looks so much more composed than it did in the past. And um, a lot of that obviously has to come down to the the, the, the coaching and, and, and the way that the team is being set up. And Barry Robson's mantra is, you're, you're, we're, we're, we're playing from the back forward. You can't, you can't attack before you can defend. Um, but, you know, I've just been so impressed with the 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 the, the attitude that McDonald and Pollock have. They are defend first defenders, and I think it's rubbing off on scales as well. Where I think he just seems a lot more comfortable in that left centre back slot with a couple of other actual kind of defend first defenders playing him alongside him. So it is concerning in terms of the fact that we are finding ourselves struggling a lot in a lot of the first halves of these games, but. I just have so much more confidence in the way that we're we're defending and holding out. So so there is that to say for it as well. Well, you're right too, but uh, but I would like to look a little bit deeper. I, th- I I did think we were off it for large spells of that first half, and I thought a, a large part of the problem was was not closing down the cross balls that were coming in, and they were coming in from deep. To be fair, quite a lot of the quite a lot of the while, but it, the positioning of the fullbacks had to be right. I'm not sure it was quite right early on, and I think that that didn't help the midfield the way it was set up. Um, it was almost as if the, the fullbacks were um, set up for. a how we had been playing with the with Clarkson at six and the two ahead of him, as opposed to we've played how we've played the last couple of weeks, we got better as the game went on. As you rightly point out, the second half was much more controlled without ever obviously getting that killer second goal. Someone said to me ahead of the ahead of the game that he felt that we'd be uh, much better equipped now than we were when we last went to Dingwall because of the personnel on the team, because we knew exactly what was coming in terms of Russ County's threat. And it played out exactly like that. It would be an aerial assault for 90 minutes, set piece after set piece, just being launched into the box, you know, throw-ins from about the halfway line were still coming into the box. That was, it was all route one. And we did really well. So often it was... um, an Aberdeen head on the, the that was first head on the ball, and crucially as well, the second touch was often an Aberdeen player as well. It's um, it is impressive compared to what we were used to seeing in the first half of the season. I the flip side to that is, you know, are these just players that are capable and good look good playing against that style of football? Will they? It was so early in Robson's regime and morale was still on the floor. And so early, obviously, in Matty Pollock and Angus McDonald's time at this club, uh, the, the game at Parkhead seems to go completely overlooked. But the, the way in which Celtic play is obviously completely different to the way in which a lot of the other teams in this league play. And we got torn apart there. Their movement absolutely torn, it tore us apart. And I suppose that's one of the question marks ahead of Sunday is what will happen when a better footballing team come up and aren't just looking to go a little bit more direct and do have a few more tricks in their arsenal. You know, how will McDonald, Pollock and as well Scales stand up to that? Um, so that would be one of the intrigues about Sunday, but we'll get to Sunday in due course. Um, I've I put it off for long enough. Uh, Martin, I, I hinted at it earlier with, it, with the nod to VAR earlier with the offside goal. Uh, but Graham Shinney's red card. Should I just light your blue touch paper and stand back? Please do. Um, for the benefit of anyone that's listening to this, I did. I did say to you earlier, you could basically just set me up with a microphone, and I would happily do a one-hour monologue on this. But 
Ah, where 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 to begin? Well, be, begin with the circumstances around the challenge. Um, the it's it's a tackle. So basically, um, I can't remember the name of the guy for us county. But he was a player that just came on. He was playing the wing. Yeah, yeah. So he's 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 played the ball back, um, but oh, the too wing. short. The, the wing is that Baldwin. Sorry, Baldwin's the nope. centre half. Comes in afterwards. Uh, he's the one coming in, but I was thinking it was a player that came on. Um, he was playing down the wings. He, he was the guy that came on as substitute. He's played the ball back for Baldwin, but he's just played it woefully short. And Shinny has reacted uh, quicker in relation to that. There's a race for the ball. Shinny has got to the ball first. Um, and not only has he got to the ball first, because... Again, I'm trying to think about this in terms of what we now know in, in, in that this got this this got made into a red card um after a VAR check. So it's the, 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 one of the phrases I've seen on on Twitter is the fact that it was a 50-50 challenge. And in 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 principle, yes, it is a 50-50 challenge. You've got two guys going for the ball. But Shinny's got to the ball first. So Anyone that's played competitive sport of any form, or played, you know, even if you're thinking like kickabouts in primary school, um, if if you're if, if if you're competing for the ball and you've got to try and get there um, in front of your opponent, um, both of you are going to have to try and run as fast as you can and see who gets to the ball first. So it predetermines that one, you're going as fast as you can, so there's momentum involved in that. Uh, and and B, you have to make sure that you get there first. So obviously in a situation where it, if, it, if it had been 50-50 and you mistimed that tackle, then, and, and the outcome of that is you end up, uh, you know, with, with um, uh, catching the player after you've missed the ball or, or mistimed it in, in, in some way, then, then absolutely you could see how that could end up being seen as a red card, but he's, he's got to the ball first. He's won the ball cleanly. He's actually kicked the ball away before Baldwin's actually ever arrived um, at, at, at the play. Um, after the game, I was watching the Sky Sports commentary, and one of the things that Chris Boyd spoke about was that he felt uh, Graham Sheeney might have been over the ball. Um, he wasn't. He's, he's played for it with the instep of his boot, because what he's looking to do is clear it into the touchline. So he's not coming directly at the football. He's actually coming at it. He's coming across from it. He's played with the instep to, to kick it out of play. Um, and then Baldwin has arrived at it. So if you're talking about a late challenge, Baldwin is the person that's actually late. Shinny has actually already cleared the ball before he's, he's, he's come into that. And for, I know there'll be a number of people listening to this who, 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 who are keen philosophers but there's a concept which is known as moral luck which is basically you know so if you if 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 you get to the ball first cleanly clear it but you unfortunately get make contact with the player afterwards as opposed to some you know despite the fact that you've your your intent is clearly just to get the ball away um and 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 it's just unfortunate that there happens to be contact afterwards as opposed to somebody who may well you somebody may well have had all the intent in the world to try and injure somebody else but if they if they just happened to miss it because they weren't good enough at injuring the player, then nothing would ever be made of it. So the, the, the biggest issue I have with the decision 
the referee has looked at that live, hasn't deemed it to be a foul, let alone, you know, yet alone a red card. He's he's just deemed it as play on. The the once you go to VAR, it seems to be incredibly outcome driven because what happens is they are looking at and I think again I had the benefit of watching it on the TV for this because I'm I know what we all know what it's like in the ground. You just get the announcement that there's a VAR check happening and then you basically just have to wait and see what the what, what the answer is. But the the VAR actually when they when they first showed VAR on the TV screen it starts with a still shot and it's basically just a still showing the Shinny's studs um, instep in contact with Baldwin's shin. So if you take anything at, at a kind of a snapshot level, then, you know, you're bang to rights. He, his, his, his instep has contacted with the opposition player's shin and without any other context, then you may well then say, okay, that has to be a red card, but it doesn't take any of the context into it. And the the, the concern I have is if that is not only a red card, but so clear a red card that should you have the temerity to even appeal it, you will be given a further match ban because it was so clearly a red card that you shouldn't even have bothered appealing it. I, I just find that, I just find that incredibly difficult to accept, and it's 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 noteworthy. Uh, and I know you retweeted it out later. It's noteworthy that the PFA um, actually took the step to come out and back Aberdeen's position in relation to that. I'm not as by the way, I'm not as happy with Aberdeen's statement. I know a lot of people are quite. I, I'm glad that they made a statement, and I'm glad they made the position out. I'm I'm less enamoured with some of the kind of pearl clutching language was used in the headline. I think that's. I think that does smack of statements that have, that have been made by some other clubs in the past. But the the, the idea behind it is right. At, at the end of the day, I think there was perfectly reasonable arguments to be made with regards to why that shouldn't have been a red card. Shinny's clearly went with the intention to win the ball. He has won the ball. The ball has been won before the opposition player was even there. I think the Baldwin himself potentially makes it worse because he's actually one of the, one of those. Um, uh, things you always talk about when when you're getting coached at, from you know youth level onwards is if you're going to go into come out uh, go into a tackle you should probably commit to the tackle because if you're if you're uncertain about it you're actually more likely to get yourself injured if you're not going into it full blooded than if you just go into it and I think that's exactly what happened with Baldwin he's actually realised that he's not going to make it in time and he's and he's tried to slow himself down and he's almost semi tried to jump over Shinny by the time he's got there and I think he's actually made it worse. Um, but yeah, Shinny's he's gone for the ball, he's won the ball cleanly, and he's just unfortunate that the way the way that collision's happened, he's at, he's happened to catch him in the aftermath. If if that is now what de facto is going to be a red card, I don't know how you coach players afterwards because essentially what you're saying is is the moment you go off your feet to go into a challenge, it's in the lap of the gods because if there's any untoward contact after you've made a entirely proper tackle, it won't matter and it's a red card. If 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 that is where we are with the laws of the game, then that, that does feel as if that does feel as if that's a subtext to the refereeing up here that it may not be made explicit and anything which has come out from FIFA, anything which has come out from IFAB in terms of the laws of the game, but it seems that we're almost being told that you cannot go off your feet to make a challenge. And that appears to be the subtext 
of that decision because let me obviously refer to the laws of the game and situations where a serious foul play would, would, so merit, would merit a red card. A tackle or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality must be sanctioned as serious foul play. So any player who lunges at an opponent and challenging for the ball from the front, from the side or from behind using one or both legs with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent is guilty of serious foul play. So lunges, I, I would debate that what Jenny did was a lunge. Excessive force, endangering the safety of an opponent. I, These are obviously, those two are very subjective. I, I don't think it meets the, obviously I wasn't the VAR official, <laughs> not a qualified yeah. official, but can you honestly say that that challenge Met both met either of those standards. I, I really don't think so. And this is not just coming from a from a sort of your dad position on football. I understand that this is not the same game I grew up watching in the eighties, but it's. I don't think it's a challenge that would have merited a second look in, for example, the English Premier League. The 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 thing about that is. I think part of what you detailed in the laws of the game was lunging at the player. I don't think he was lunging at the player. If 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 he was lunging at all, his his entire process was to try and get to the ball and clear the ball away. Uh, it wasn't aimed at Baldwin at all. I think it is just unfortunate that it's the nature of if you have two players going at full momentum for the same football... Um, there's going to be contact. I, so, I was reflecting. So about... that means it endangers the safety of an opponent. Would be the would be the would be the caveat there. And you know, has, has he endangered the safety of an opponent? Yes, but every time you make a contact with an opponent on the football field, you're endangering an opponent. Every time you go up for for a high ball when you clash heads, you're endangering the safety of an opponent. Should that be two red cards in that scenario? Well, that, that's where it's going to become incredibly hard to consistently adjudicate that unless, you know, in, in fairness, and if, 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 if the SFA want, want to come out and clarify if that's what, what they're saying, because it seems to be, and especially given the basis that they extended the ban by, by, by a game deeming it a frivolous appeal, I couldn't really think of much more you could have had in mitigating circumstances other than you, 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 you clearly were only playing for the ball you you clearly won the ball before the other player got to to to, to the challenge, and um, you know there's for me there's clearly no intent to endanger the other player. I have I have seen one or two other people saying um, that they felt there was an intent from Shinny to actually basically leave a bit in on Baldwin after he cleared the ball, but I find that incredible. Um, we, we we we've spoken beforehand about. Graham Shinney, up until that point, had never committed a red card, a straight red card offence in his entire career. Um, I find it incredulous to think that, based on that track record, you couldn't argue that, you know, basically nothing that he's done in a football pitch has been inconsistent with trying to avoid a situation where he would injure another player. Um, I, I think it purely is... Um, an un- is an unfortunate is the nature of as you say it's just the nature of any situation where you're going at momentum into a challenge with an opposing player and it's and it's a possibility that that can happen but if 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 their ruling is that if that if that contact does happen 
then it's an automatic red card, then okay, that we, we are where we are with that. But I think it does set a, a, a really challenging precedent. And well, well, talk about talking about precedent. Let let's talk about the, the appeals process in a bit of detail because um, you cannot apparently bring up previous examples which have been similar tackles to this which have ended up in outcomes which have not been red cards so you, you so that came out as part of this process that we weren't able to cite for example the Nicky Clark challenge at Ibrox which ended up in a red card being uh, being rescinded and you we wouldn't presumably also you talked about Graham Shinney's past history we couldn't also have bring, bring that up how how do we establish consistency in this process if we can't use precedent? If you're not using precedent, then it actually calls the question, what on earth is the appeals panel taking into consideration then? Because you would have thought, um, I, 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 again, the normal process of, I think some people were referring to court court processes where obviously... You know, you have the letter of the law, but you also have a basically the history of whatever case law has happened beforehand that helps to. And the whole point of the of that case law is to uh, inform and interpret what the, the 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 law should mean. I wouldn't see, I wouldn't have imagined it would be any different in, in this regard. And and I think it's important to say that doesn't necessarily mean. I I think everybody accepts you have to you have to judge every incident on its own merits just because. Um, one thing has happened in a game three yeah, months You're ago. never going to get a, a perfect replication yeah. of the events which led up to to the incident on Friday night, obviously. So, no. So but, no, but I'm you not suggesting thought... the incidents were exactly the same, but no. we have cases but, but where... You, yeah, but you would have thought it would be sensible to be able to look at previous situations, and especially ones that the appeals panel themselves have adjudicated on okay maybe not necessarily these specific individual people but it, it, it would it would it would seem to make sense to have a look at how those how similar matters have been decided in the past as a as a tool to inform you as how you would actually deal with the the the, the one in front of you uh right now um but but the other aspect is i think i think what's played really heavily is the fact that obviously there's been contact it's studs on shin, which I think everybody accepts is probably one of the highest risk situations for the player who's receiving that. So one thing I would say is I, I, I don't think, or I'm certainly not uh, wanting to underplay that, that that could end up in a serious injury. But it is the nature of the game. And I do think if we're going to say um, you can actually go into a tackle with the correct intentions and execute it correctly. But if, if for whatever reason there still ends up being contact, it, it doesn't matter. I think that's just really challenging. And, and, and I think it probably will just lead to um, potentially a bit of a rethink across the game in relation to how you're even coaching players in relation to that. Because yeah, and as I say, just to back, back to my earlier point, I kind of feel that almost that the referees, referees have decided that they're making that decision on our behalf. Without us, yeah. without the rest of the football world really getting a say or a discussion on this, they've kind of almost decided in decisions like this that no, you're not allowed to go off your feet if there's any risk of contact, any contact at all, even if that contact happens because the opposing player is late to the situation. But if you were to take that to its absurd conclusions, if that if that's what they're in effect saying, then what you're really saying is 
you should be getting penalised for going off your feet to go into a challenge because it's purely a matter of happenstance rather whether going off on your feet to go into a challenge ends up in you making contact with another player or not. Um, and I was also thinking of there were there was other examples in in previous games. The one the one that came to mind, and again, I'm not saying this is like for like it is a completely different scenario, but um, the tackle at the uh, Jamie Hill at Hearts made on Duke a few weeks ago. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you've got a situation there where obviously he's been given a torrid time by Duke throughout most of the game, and you know Duke's had a couple of goals in the game already at that stage, and so. He's, um, I think, I think Hearts have just had a potential penalty claim waved off and uh, Duke's managed to scamper away with the ball. Um, Hill has went in, I think everyone in the ground except with 100% intent to get, to, to, to leave something on Duke. Now, now he's, he's, he's won the ball, um, he's, but he's, he's steamed in. And again, I think it was also different from the Baldwin situation where Shinny was looking to play the ball, if anything, away from the defender and get the ball out the angle that Hill was running into Duke, he knew fine well that in order to get in contact with the ball, he was going to take all of Duke with him. And he's basically went clean through him and completely upended him. And I'm not saying, I don't think that should be a, a, a yellow or a red card either. I think Hill end, ended up getting yellow carded, but I think it was more because of the reaction afterwards um, and, and the fact that he instigated a near mass riot amongst the players on the pitch. But it just shows you that, you know, for me, if you're talking about potentially endangering a player, there was, the, and, and, and especially when you're talking about intent, there was well, a hundred percent intent excessive in that scenario. Well, that red card uh, scenario as well. Let me st- let's go into, let's uh, delve into the exciting world of um, uh, Judiciary Panel Protocol 13.21.8, uh, if we will. Um, so this is... I I, I think we've been leading up to this for eight years, Martin, frankly. Um, so this this is about the extra game, and um, you've already touched upon it. But um, So in the event of a claim being dismissed, the tribunal must determine whether, one, the claim has no prospect of success, two, the claim was an abusive process or a delaying tactic for the sanction originally imposed, three, the claim was frivolous. Now, what difference are between one and three? I'm not entirely sure. Two, we can rule out because obviously, um, you know, there's no attempt to delay. He's not. Uh, he's not going. To, he wouldn't have been available for a game. That's what used to happen, and I can't help but feel that this whole clause was inserted because that's exactly how this process used to be played, most notably by the Glasgow clubs, but by everyone. To be fair, frequently you would see players getting red carded. Pretty obvious, straightforward red card, red cards. The appeals process being used in order for, I recall Scott Brown being available for. Um, I'm pretty sure it was an Old Farm derby. It could well have been a, a game at Pitodry or Tynecastle, something like that. Clear red card, plays in the plays in the big game, then takes a suspension for a home game against St Johnson or something. So I can't help but feel that this whole area of the protocol has been inserted to cover a situation that simply no longer exists because the appeals panel are convened so much prompter these days. Yeah, uh, I I agree entirely with your summation of that situation. I think the, the only reason or the main reason that there was the the option to add an additional game or an additional game to the suspension was, was, was precisely for that scenario where clubs 
had the option to, to game the system that if they wanted their player available for a specific upcoming game, um, they could then basically just throw in an appeal and they didn't really care whether it was successful or not as long as they were available for that particular game. Um, Listen, we know that so, also clubs, were, clubs could possibly appeal because their supporters expect them to. I, I think maybe there was a degree of that with us, to be honest, because I didn't hold out much hope of that. As much as I concur with your assessment on the challenge, I didn't hold that much chance of that getting reversed, particularly because of the noise afterwards from the refereeing community. And you have to also remember that right now the refereeing community in Scotland feels very threatened, uh, very under attack for pretty odious reasons, um, which really have very little to, to do with the game as a whole, but have everything to do with the game as a whole. So, so I suppose it's also... In the context of that, not a surprise, but we, you know, we hear from Stuart Dougal saying, you know, it's a red card all day, every day of the week. Stuart Dougal, by the way, whose uh, last game in Scottish football was to send Charlie Mulgrew off for not coming within um, about ten inches of Kyle Lafferty's forehead. He thought that was a red card, kids. So uh, careful what you sniff, I suppose. I, I, I just wonder how how the co- current context, the current conversation about referees, and also the noise around over the weekend as well because I think there was almost like a clear split you had the refereeing community coming out and saying it's definitely a red card based on the current rules but you had a lot of ex-pros saying no we don't believe it's a red card yeah um, the most recent one I saw before I came on was I saw um, BBT had shared some um, they did ask Lee Miller about it and he basically came out saying he just he, he was saying again you're getting what are effectively completely contradictory positions because because the referees community, refereeing community, and again, not just within Scotland, because again, um, you know, the, the they 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 have their uh, refereeing pundits on Sky Sports and the likes, and and they're all adamant. Yeah, that was absolutely well, not not only there was a correct red card, but that there was no other decision that could be arrived at. Um, but as you say, it seems a lot of it's it's not it's not being unanimous. There are some players that have come to an opposite view in that, but. The majority of professionals, and and again, I think amongst supporters, most people that have ever played a game, you know, even if it's just in, in a game of fives, you know, there's an instinctive feel for whether something was, you know, a red card offence or not. And I think most people are accepting that, you know, this was a guy that made a not only a genuine attempt to... Because, again, I think we'd have all understood if he'd got it wrong. If you, you can go in with as much genuine yeah, intent yeah. to win the ball or not, but if you mistime it and you catch the player, then I don't think there would be any argument. Um, but, of course, the but, really unprecedented part of this is, as you referred to earlier, the, the PFA coming out and, and supporting, essentially, what Aberdeen had put in their statement the night before. I don't recall a scenario like that before, and... I think everything in that PFA statement is absolutely spot on because it focuses in on it drills down into that extra game and about the punishment for appealing and it's about the 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 fact that you know what is deemed a frivolous appeal is is never really explained and never really uh, teased out from the protocol and as I say it, it really feels to me that that section of the protocol is inserted purely because of the abuses that went on before and it don't really happen now because of the the speed at which things are done. So it's a situation which is going to, I think, clearly worried professional footballers in this country enough about the process that they've decided to come out and say something. And this is very unusual. It it is unusual. And again, we come back to this term of what, what would be deemed frivolous. I'd be 
um, I, I know there's been a call from both the club and PFA Scotland for um, the decision of the appeal panel to be reviewed again. Um, I'm with you, Richard. I, I wasn't particularly surprised that they would come to a decision that would back up the original decision made on the day because there is obviously clear VAR, VAR evidence that Shinny has made contact with Baldwin. Again, it studs on Shin. And again, I'm not naive enough to think that if if, if, if if VAR has shown that and albeit the referee didn't make the decision on the field, he has then seen that footage and then made his mind up based on that to give a red card. And I think there's maybe there's a separate discussion probably to be had about you know, I think everybody accepts now, and maybe this is part of the kind of closed ranks aspect of the refereeing community. Once a referee has been asked to go and have a look at VAR footage, I think it must be pretty much a 100% record that whatever they've been asked to see on VAR, they go ahead and make that decision. Yeah, I, this season. I think Willie Collum is, has, is about the only one I can recall. And, you know, I don't have a... I don't have a complete memory of every single VAR incident in Scotland this season, but Willie yeah. Combs is the only one that sticks in my mind as having gone against what he was being advised yeah. to check out on the screens. So it, I, I think it takes a, I think it takes an established referee. I think it's going to take a, a referee with a lot of experience to even consider doing that. Yeah, but 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 it certainly it 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 frames it in the context of. Once it comes to an appeal panel, I get their position of VAR have seemed deemed that, or you know, the, the the video assistant referees deemed that serious enough to raise it to the official on the pitch. The official on the pitch, having reviewed that footage, has also come to do has basically come to an conclusion in agreement with with with, with the video assistant referee that it merits issuing a red card. And it, you're you're probably always fighting against the stream at that point, or fighting against the tide at that point when it comes to getting a decision. So I don't think anybody was surprised or would have been surprised that the decision was going to be upheld. But this concept of it, and it does feel, and I don't don't get me wrong, I don't think this will be the case. It's, it won't always be the case that if you appeal something, you will have had a game extended. Although it might be worth some if somebody has a bit of spare time going through previous decisions to see how often that additional game has actually been enforced. But I don't see what could possibly have been deemed frivolous in that situation, given what we've already explored in terms of there was no competitive advantage to be gained by Aberdeen from from contesting the 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 the, the decision, uh, given the fast track nature, yeah. and 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 there was clear it's not it's not as if it was an appeal without any merit unless essentially the the, the appeal uh, essentially the, the result of this which I think is concerning PFA Scotland so much is that the appeal panel themselves are the sole arbiters of what they consider to be frivolous or not and effectively. Unless you get anything further from them with regards to why they were they weren't satisfied that there was any merit of, of, of at all in relation to appealing, and again the only way the only way I think you could come to that position is if you're taking the position that any any contact following uh, a, a tackle of that nature has to automatically be considered a red card because to to say there's no merit in coming to a, a, a counter review does does t- seem to to lead you to that conclusion. I think the other thing is for a process which is so basted in legalese throughout it, and you spoke at the outset about how clearly it's not going to have the same standards of, um, of requirements for a verdict as a court of law, nor should it, but, but the whole process has that sort of detail. This is very much this idea that, uh, you know, you run 
the sort of double re- jeopardy risk when you put an appeal in runs very contrary to any um, concept of natural justice, doesn't it? And again, yeah. I can understand why it was in in the first place because people were abusing the system. Yeah, but as we've explored, there was there was no way in which we were abusing the system by making this challenge, and I think that's why on this particular instance, PFA Scotland have actually kind of yeah. fallen in line with Aberdeen's position is, you know, you call it natural justice, but I mean, it is essentially, I mean, you know, okay, it's not a court of law, but it, but it is, uh, it is a tribunal. It is a hearing and there is a, such a concept as a right to a fair hearing. And, and it undoubtedly impacts upon if you felt, if you feel that as a, as a player or, 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 or as a club, there is merit to, 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 um, challenge a decision um, the insinuation is we're going to try and put you off even bothering trying to challenge that by adding this as you say this kind of double jeopardy aspect of it that if if you're if you're unsuccessful we will just arbitrarily add an additional um, game game to your ban and again it's 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 not a great I think I know they were always talking about not setting precedents, but it does seem to set a, a, a worrying potential precedent in relation to how uh, that might impact other clubs and players going forward. Because I think that must be the overriding concern amongst the the, the players' association is um, are they effectively, you know, giving the impression that our our decision is in reality final, and even though there is a nominal appeal process there. Um, if 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 you dare a challenge, just just be minded that we'll we're, we're we're effectively just going to punish you by you know extending your ban. And and again, there there was also the the option. I would have also get I would also get a situation where in reviewing a decision, you actually found that um, the serious foul play was actually so serious it merited a further match ban in the same way as maybe they could have reviewed it and said well actual fact it wasn't as serious as we thought and we would have reduced it so 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 up up upgrading or reducing uh well, I, mean, we to... I don't have an issue with in that context but simply extending it for the temerity of bothering to appeal just seems yeah, yeah i mean earlier in the season at dingwall as it happened we had uh lane clarkson sent off uh didn't we but not at the game he was sent off before VAR was introduced in Scotland, he was sent off under the old system where the, he got an a email on Monday morning from the compliance officer who'd, who'd obviously reviewed the footage and he got a retrospective red card that day again for a challenge, which was uh, probably more a red card than Graham Shinnings is all I will say in that. Anyway, farewell, Judicial Panel Protocol 13.21.8. Um, I'm sure we might meet again in the future. Uh, do you want to hear what 13.21.9 says? It says the Always. determination of a claim is final and binding. There shall be no right of appeal. Um, so <laughs> let's wait and see what the outcome is. I do think that the uh, PFA Scotland uh, intervention is a right instinct and, as I say, unprecedented one. Uh, but I don't think we'll be seeing Graham Shinney uh, for much for the rest of the season. We certainly won't be seeing him on Sunday. Uh, do you like that segue, kids? Um, Sunday brings the visit of Scotland's newest football team. Um, not well, newest football team, newest top flight football team, anyway. Um, up to Pataudry. And uh, do you think, Martin, that um, we're going to make it seven wins on spin? I hope we will. Um, I'm actually, it's, it's, it's one of the first times in a while that I'm actually really looking forward to uh, one of these matches because 
more often than not, there's a, a degree of trepidation with these encounters. But I feel, and again, I, I want to be careful how I phrase this because I know three points are three points, but it does have a kind of a feel of it being a free hit for Aberdeen where we've we've done all of the hard work before the split and gotten ourselves in a position where we now have that five point cushion and we will, regardless of what happens in the game on Sunday, we'll be going in, in the split in third place and with the destiny in our own hands. Um, but I don't mean free hit in a way of, you know, you can just, you know, you don't really have to worry whether what the result is or not. We're obviously still in it to win it. And I, I would like to think that, uh, and we'll we'll wait and see because maybe maybe Robson will make some more significant changes to structure and personnel specifically for this particular match. But if 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 I can compare the contrast to how I felt at the time that when Jim Gubin came back after the the World Cup break and 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 the way that we set up so passively at home against Celtic, and you're absolutely right the the, the way that the way that we performed at Parkhead, Celtic's uh, pace and movement just absolutely tore us apart. But I would suggest Rangers are clearly a step above the opposition that we have played so far in our winning run, but I don't think they're at that level of precision um, and, 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 and movement and fluidity that Celtic currently have at the moment. So I think they are, they are a step above the, the teams we have beaten on this run so far, but I don't think they're so far beyond this that, that, that we shouldn't be, having the aspiration to essentially play the way we want to play yeah. again. And, and, and for, for me, the, it's, it's the, it's the best scenario that you can get where we're going to be third regardless. I would like us to see, and I would like Robson to be saying that to his players where he's, where he's putting some faith in his players and saying, look, let's go and test ourselves against this team, play the way we want to play and 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 match up with Rangers and 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 see what happens. We're going to have, I think, by the time I know there's still some tickets to be sold out, but I think we'll be pretty damn near to sell out by the time we get to Sunday Sunday afternoon. Um, we'll have a, a a vociferous crowd which will be backing the team all the way, and it's a it's a great opportunity. And there's there's also some rights to be um, some 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 rights to be won, some bragging rights to be won here. Um, Everybody will have a bit of a... to be rated about this season. Uh, season's That's what I was grasping for. Because <laughs> um, it's that game, that last game at Petodri where we've absolutely thrown away a winning position at the death, Gras- grasping defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, I have never seen the like, honestly. It's incredible. Uh, but thanks for bringing that up, Martin. Um, I'm sure that uh, you know prompted some uh, Nam-style flashbacks for people. Um, but this is a really intriguing tie for for a lot of reasons for me, and it's really all tied up with Barry Robson. As you say, this is a, a step up in quality from the teams that we've played these last uh, half dozen games and got the wins in, and also it's a team playing in, a, I think, a different style and in a style which could prove a lot more challenging to the way that our defenders like to defend and I'm really intrigued to see how he handles this particular fixture and this particular tie that's why you know right at the outset when he first started stringing stringing a couple of wins in a row together I thought up to the split was actually quite a good judge quite a good number of games because it gave you away games because that was clearly something we needed to fix and he's done well there they've not been pretty but you know by 
my word, he's done well. And it gave you this game. And this game is hugely important to Aberdeen fans. <clears throat> I don't think any of us genuinely expect to challenge for the title. Certainly not if teams are going to be hitting the high 90 points. Uh, that's that's beyond Aberdeen. I think the very, very best in Aberdeen team on a budget we currently manage would be mid-80s. And that honestly would be going some, mid-80 points-wise. Which, <clears throat> in a season where the other two are dropping a lot more points than they currently are, could put you in a title race, like uh, Hearts and was it 90, when was it, 98, 99, were they, were they kind of in the race until a couple of weeks ago? Anyway, um, this, it, it just feels like a, a really, not quite an acid test, but it feels like a really important game for his future Aberdeen career, if, and we all hope, he finishes third and therefore gets the job almost by default but how this one goes on Sunday will have an impact if he is made full-time Aberdeen manager because he's going to be judged from this game this is he can't start off what might be a a full-time position he can't start off with a really damaging home defeat to them can he and on the other side on the other flip side what an opportunity to really turbo boost not only this season, but a springboard into what he will surely hope will be a full-time position. Yeah. I, I think fundamentally, he at least needs to be able to put out an Aberdeen team that is competitive on on, on the park um, and actually is looking to compete. Um, because what I definitely don't want to see again is a return to this kind of... Um, uh, a passivity of just sitting back and absorbing pressure and and, and um I, I think it's always going to be that precarious balance between because you obviously but, but say that that worked would you care if we won one no and we sat back for the last 60 minutes after after going ahead would you honestly care i mean if we're being totally blunt i mean again we're 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 all one-eyed in that regards, and we're all very easy to turn our opinions depending on. But again, I've 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 been critical of uh, the Graham Shinney decision being entirely outcome focused, so I don't want to be I don't want to be too contrary in that regard. But 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 I think I think we, we yeah. Whenever Aberdeen playing at home, I think there should at least be some um, intent to go out and put pressure on the opposition and and try to impose our game on them. I don't think that needs to be in a naive way. Um, but kind of coming back to your point, in relation to the test for, for Barry Robson, I think this is actually going to be really insightful. This will probably be the most meaningful game so far in terms of what what what's, what's Barry Robson's chops as a manager. He definitely has a lot of credentials and a lot of um, a, 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 a lot of standing in terms of his coaching. He's clearly a very good man manager um he's very good at setting his team up and and he's got a very clear philosophy of play, playing from the back forward again we've heard all about transitions in multiple interviews afterwards but it has been it has been very much wrote into a script it's he has he he has a a, a setup that he starts at the, at the start of the game he tends to see that through for you know the the first half, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, as you say, he'll have his fixed one or two changes to make. And again, it will be it will be the two striking options. It will be Marley Watkins and A another at some point. So that's absolutely fine in a game that you're already winning one or two nil and progressing forward. 
what will be interesting is if we get in a situation, it exactly what you say. It's 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 it's, it's absolutely a possibility. We might find ourselves one or two goals down. What what's his managerial chops at that stage? What does he have a plan B? What what would he be looking to change in game that might impact the situation? And again, it, it, it we never really got that chance to see that in the Celtic game because effectively it was it was one way traffic. Um, against and it. don't get me wrong, I'm completely happy for that not to have to be challenged, Martin. I'm completely happy <laughs> for us just to do what we did against Hearts and blow a team who. Let's be honest, they have got a season-defining game the week after. They know that there's no hope in the league. Yes, they'll, they have an incentive to be us and they'll have 2,000 rabid fans in their way end as ever, uh, creating a lot of noise and singing a lot of songs about Irish history. But um, we might not be facing an opponent with a eye completely on the ball, let's say. Mm. So there's opportunities there, clearly. And mm. you know, if we come out the weekend at a minimum, and I'm, I wouldn't bank hundred. I wouldn't bank my mortgage on Hearts beating Ross County. Even I think that's how bad things have gone for them at the moment. Although I definitely would expect St Mirren to be winning at the weekend. If we come out the weekend still five points clear, I think that's a, a tremendous boost for us and a huge blow for the other teams. Definitely. First of all, uh, I do not buy for a, a moment this idea of. Rangers have a big game ahead of them next week and this might be a perfect opportunity. The, the, it seems that Aberdeen are routinely the team that got Celtic or Rangers at the weekend following an away trip in Europe on a Thursday night and everybody talks in the run-up in the game of how, oh yeah, they'll... they'll that, that'll that's, a, that's a different scenario. So I, 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 I think there is a... There's an imperceptible thing that goes on in, in footballers' heads when, when the main prize is gone. I think that's a different scenario from being tired or from being, you yeah. know, uh, worn down from playing Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. I, I think that's a completely different thing. I think if there's a slight mental switch off, I think that's completely different to a bit of tiredness. Yeah, but I think that only plays into a situation where, I mean, my my experience in watching these games is these things only play out if you've actually managed to put the performance out on the park and get the benefits of it. So I think that situation happens... And I'm thinking, like, I think, was it the, the 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 tail end of the season? I'm thinking back at the time um, where we managed to balls up not getting to the Scottish Cup final because we got beat by Queen of the South. But did we not get Rangers at the tail end of the season before they had... So they, they, they'd had their own European run-in and they had European Cup final to yeah, look forward to. Season, the last game of that season were, uh, was the United Funk Rangers at Pataudry, yeah. Indeed. indeed you're, you're absolutely right to pull me up on that. Um, but when... You know, so that's a game then where, but you have you have to play well enough to you know put the pressure on the team, get the goals, and I think I think the situation is if you then get yourself in in those kinds of games, if we are then one nil up, two one up in that game, then only then do I think you might then get the player the the players in opposition thinking well league's league's kind of gone already. I think it actually also helps us as well that the title can't be clinched. On, on Sunday, so there isn't that immediate embarrassment factor of, well, we've lost the title. But, you know, as I say, they know they know that the league title isn't really there. Second place is sewn up. They've got they've got the, the big cup semi-final the, the the following week. But I think that 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 comes that follows on from what what it will always come down to. It'll it'll be entirely be predicated on 
Aberdeen pu- putting together a performance that makes that happen. I don't think you can just think, oh, we'll go out there and Rangers won't fancy it. Um, I think I think we've got to force that to happen. And and again, coming back to and again, I know we are obviously not in we're we're not performing at the levels of of, of Celtic, but I think it is telling when I was going back to I I would I would hope that we're still kind of going into that game with the intention of you know impo- trying to put impose our game on on Rangers in situations where it pays off because for all that they, they they talk about the great movement and pace of Celtic if you go back to the last league match that they had and it was 1-1 going into the second half where did Celtic ultimately end up getting their goals it wasn't through fantastic movement and pulling the Ranger team apart it was basic defending errors that came from being put under pressure yeah um, John Suter being not very good yeah. uh, which will come to no surprise to anyone who's kind of watched them for most of the past few years so, so, um, so you know I don't I don't think Ben Davies and John Suter are suddenly are suddenly going to become 10 times more comfortable on the ball or competent just because they happen to be playing us it'll entirely come down to what what we manage to do in the park and what pressure we put on them in terms in terms of some of their attacking play going forward I, I think some sometimes you, you can only do your best to try and contain them in, in in the situations where where you are defending and sometimes you will just find yourself in situations where if if they if they do happen to hit good form on the day there may there may not be something you're able to do about it but but I'd, I'd rather we go out and effectively put the pressure on them, put them to the test. If they respond to that, then all credit to them. But I, I suspect, and as you alluded to beforehand, I, I suspect that if we are, uh, if we go about it in the right positive attitude, um, take the game to them uh, and prove that we're, we're there to take, to take the three points, we, their, their will may ultimately be found wanting. But we, we have to put that performance in to make it happen first. All right, uh, we will leave it there. Um, thank you very much to those of you who listened in live. Um, very much appreciate that. We eventually uh, managed to overcome the technical difficulties caused by having never used this damn thing before. Uh, so well done, us. Pat us on the back. Uh, thank you, Martin, for uh, doing most of the heavy lifting tonight. Appreciate it. Um, and until we next week, come on, you Reds.